Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 1, 1 through 16. This is the way the whole New Testament begins. It's the way Matthew begins telling of Jesus, and it is something we read and discussed this last Wednesday uh, and asked the question, why in the world would you begin with a genealogy? But he does, and, uh, and there are good reasons for that which we're not going to have time to talk about this morning, so if you'd like to talk about it, let me know. I'd love to. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word, which you have given to us. God, we pray that as we read, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us minds that are curious. As we wonder about who you are and the ways that you reveal yourself to us, in your word. God, I pray that you would help us this morning to come to know you better and that through your word and your spirit, you would continue to shape us as your people more and more even today into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 1, 1-16. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Isaiah. Isaiah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Turning into our New Testament reading, Acts 7, verses 1 through 8. This is early in the days of the uh, church after Jesus has been raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has come on the disciples and things for the most part seem to be going well, but there are some problems that are being stirred up, including uh, people saying that the disciples are teaching against the temple. So chapter 7. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, 
before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you now are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stephen goes on, of course, to connect that whole story to Jesus. And that is how Matthew opened his gospel as well, is connecting the whole story to Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience before of having uh, watched a movie more than once. You ever had that? You're just one and done kind of person. If you've ever watched a movie more than once, you'll, you'll know, uh, especially if it's a well-made movie, that once you know how the movie ends, it changes the experience the second time through. Because the second time through, there are things that you didn't know the first time. You're kind of going through like the other characters. But the second time through, you already know how it turns out. And so you start seeing things as they come up, and you're like, oh, 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 that comes up later. I, I remember that. We have the benefit as those when we read the Old Testament to actually read it in light of the New Testament, in light of Jesus, understanding how it is that God is going to fulfill the promises that he makes to Abraham. And so when we look at the promises that God makes to Abraham and uh, through you all nations on earth will be blessed, and we go, yeah, yeah, we see that. Here's the problem. Abraham didn't see that. And as we read his story, it's really easy for us to read the story of Abraham as though he already has the information we have. He doesn't. But here's the other part of it. When we read Abraham's story, it is really helpful for us to remember that he doesn't know that. He doesn't know what's coming next, even though we do, for his story. Why it's helpful for us is because we don't know what's coming next in our story. You follow me? And so when we look at Abraham and how he walked with God and was trusting God in these various times, when he doesn't know how it's going to work out, and we're like, oh, come on, Abraham, don't you know? It's going to go like this. No, he doesn't know. That's the point. And so for us, no, we don't know what's coming next. And yet, the walking with God is, uh, is one of the things we do have in common. And so as we look at Abraham's story, we're continuing there. We've been going actually from Genesis 1. We've been moving on through from the beginning and uh, we have slowed down tremendously as we get to Abraham, because that's the way the Bible is, the story is told, is it goes really quickly, uh, going over lots of generations from Genesis 1 to 11, and then starting in chapter 12, we really focus in on this family. So that's where we're going to focus as well. And what we have looked at the last couple of weeks is how God had taken this man named Abram, we call him Abraham, that comes later this point he's still just abram and god takes this man named abram and he makes these great promises to him when abram when abram has done nothing god just says here's what i'm going to do 
And he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is worth going over a few times. This is one of those foundational moments in the whole story. God takes this man named Abram and makes these great promises to him. And then we get to see how how this all plays out in his life and his life of his family. And what we looked at last week was actually Abram maybe not making such a good choice when he goes down to Egypt and says, hey, wife, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. And then things will go well for me. And we see that right as soon as God has just said, All nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. Instead, what happens is because of Abram's actions, plagues fall on the nation nearby. And um, and one of the things we talked about is how just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's something for us to copy, right? (laughs) Sometimes we see people doing what is right. Sometimes we see people doing what is not right. And we are to learn from all of it, not to copy all of it. (laughs) And then we come to this, chapter 13 when he comes back to the land with all the stuff that he's brought from Egypt. Here we go. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Hint for later. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. So this is the next step of the journey. And there is an awful lot here that we're not going to get into today. And that's one of the things we've been saying as we've been going through this whole series in Genesis, is there's so much more. And this is why it's worth going over again and again and discussing together on a daily basis uh, what all 
we are reading and discovering as we read about who God is and how he reveals himself and how he works with his people and through all of creation. But what we are doing is kind of hitting some of the highlights as we go. And so there are things in this particular story about uh, the comparisons between Abram building an altar and the people who built the Tower of Babel. Think about that. (laughs) Abram's not building a tower to make his name great. He's building an altar to make the name of the Lord great. Abram is living in a tent, and yet he builds these altars of stones to the Lord. Reflect on that. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about uh, the way in which um, Abram and Lot solve this problem of the quarreling with the you go this way, I'll go this way. Uh, You know, who gets to choose and what do they choose and why do they choose what they choose and is that a good decision? Let you think about that one. We're not getting into that today. There's, There's a lot that we could go into. Um, We could look at the comparisons between how it's describing the land that Lot looks at, both as looking good like the, uh, the garden of the Lord and also looking like the land of Egypt. And how those two things aren't put together very often. So why are they put together here in this way? What, in what ways do they resemble? Well, I'll let you think about that. We're not going to talk about it. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the promise. We're going to talk about the promise that God made to Abraham. And we're going to look at what Abraham has done. I'm saying Abraham. You just got to go with it. <laughs> One way, Abram, Abraham, same guy. Anyway, uh, the promise that God has made to him and how far we are in that story and how this particular story, with Abram not knowing the next step, how this reveals who Abram is and how he relates to God. It's, um, this, is, this is big. Do you remember what we just read <laughs> five minutes ago in Genesis 12? The promise that God makes starts this way. Before he even makes a promise, the Lord had said to Abram, 12, chapter, one, or chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Do you hear this? Abram's supposed to leave. What's he supposed to leave? Basically, in a nutshell, everything. Does he do that? Mostly. This is one of those things that we see a lot uh, throughout the Bible is people being commanded to do a particular thing and they mostly obey. And when they mostly obey, does it go well? Typically not. We do see some examples of people being commanded something and then obeying exactly. We will see later examples of Abraham doing exactly that. But not here. When he starts out, he mostly obeys. What does he take with him that maybe he's not supposed to take with him? His nephew Lot. Hmm. Well, that's weird. Leave, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. And so he goes, but he doesn't leave the people. He doesn't leave the father's household. He brings one guy with him. You ever wonder why? 
says, just because he's going to be lonely on the road, it's going to be a long road trip, got to have my nephew there with me, keep me company. No. What are the other parts of this promise? I'm going to make you into a great nation, right? How many kids does Abraham have? Zero. If Abraham leaves everybody in his family and he has no kids, how does he become a great nation? God's got to do something that they haven't seen before. And so in the way that would make sense to Abraham is, sure, God's going to make me into a great nation, and he's probably going to do it not through me, but through Lot, my nephew. I'll take him on. He will be the one who becomes my descendant, in a sense. And he will be the one through whom all these promises are fulfilled. But is that what God meant? No. And so by Abraham mostly obeying, does it cause problems? Yes. And this morning what we just read is just the beginning of the problems it's caused. And this is a problem actually of abundance. That while they were in Egypt, they did acquire lots of things. And so you have uh, Abraham with lots of stuff, lots of flocks and herds, etc., etc., gold and silver. And we have Lot also with lots of flocks and herds, etc., etc. And so the two of them now, they, they, there's not enough resources in the one area for them to stay together. They need to divide uh, in order for everyone to survive. Now this is a problem, maybe a good problem to have, but it's still a problem for them in this area. And so Abraham, Abram, at this point, uh, makes a decision. And this is the part that we want to focus on, is this decision that Abram makes, and especially thinking about it in terms of Abram believing that God is going to make him into a great nation, but also believing that this is going to be through Lot. When he separates from Lot, when he sends him on his way, and they part company, He's not just saying, hey, I'll see you later. This isn't just, you know, a trivial matter. This is thinking everything that I have is going, and all the promises that God has made are going to come through this one thing. And I'm letting that go. Abraham knew the promise that God had made. And he thought he knew how God was going to fulfill this promise. And so far, he's been holding on to the one thing that he thinks is the way that God is going to fulfill this promise. And here again, we know the rest of the story. And we're like, no, don't take Lot. He has nothing to do with this. God's going to do this. It's going to be Isaac. Don't you know? And no, he doesn't know. That's the point. At this point, he thinks, it, who else could it be but Lot? It's got to be him, Right? And so he holds on to that until this moment. And in this moment when they separate, it is Abram letting go of what he was clinging to as the way that God would fulfill the promise. The Bible tells us, God says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. There's an old story of 
a girl who had um, a necklace made of just cheap plastic imitation pearls. And she loved it. And she would wear it all the time, everything, didn't matter. She'd wear it to bed with her pajamas all the time. Little six-year-old girl, this is her treasured possession. And, um, and as she grows, her dad actually asks her one day, do you love me? Oh, yes, of course I love you. Do you trust me? Sure, I trust you. He says, will you give me your pearls? Well, I don't know about that. I'll give you my stuffed teddy bear. <laughs> That's okay. Do you trust me? Well, sure. Will you give me your pearls? I mean, you, I don't see why you would need them, and really they look better on me, and <laughs> isn't there something else I could give you? Well, there are lots of things that you could give me, he says. But I'm asking, will you give me your pearls? She has to think about it for a long time. And finally she decides, okay, I will give you my pearls. And so she unclasps them from her neck and with fighting back tears in her eyes, she hands them to him. And he has his one open hand to receive the pearls and in the other hand he's pulling a box out of his pocket. And he hands it to her. And as they make the exchange, she opens it up to discover he has given her the real thing, the real pearls that are of much higher quality and value, so much more beautiful. And I love this story because she doesn't know what's in the pocket until after she gives it up. Abraham didn't know what was coming in the rest of his story until after he gives up what he thinks is the way God's going to do it. We'll see the same kind of thing throughout the story as it continues to go, that God will continue to say, do you trust me? Do you love me? Will you give up the thing that you are clinging to as though you think that's the way that I'm going to fulfill my promises? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I'm asking you to love me. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to walk with me. I'm asking you to give up the things that might be getting in the way of that. There is um, a part of that story I don't like with pearls. And that is how quickly it all happens. (laughs) It makes for a nice story. But so often... We give it up, and we don't get the, other, the real pearls right away, do we? Sometimes we're not even told why he's asked for them. I don't know. Maybe it's because those cheap imitation pearls were coated in lead paint, and they've started to chip. The girl keeps chewing on them, and he's like, you know what? You really need to give that up. We don't know. We don't know why God asks for the things he asks But as Diane and I have talked about for a lot of years, he has us on a need-to-know basis. There are a lot of things we just don't need to know. But we know that we can 
trust him in everything. I heard a story years ago from a woman I used to work with, and uh, she had, we were just sharing our stories of um, how God had um, brought us thus far in our own journeys. And one of the things she told was about how in her life, it seemed that God had gone through everything she owned and just one thing at a time had said to her, would you be willing to give that up for me? She said there were some things that were easy. You know, of course I'd give that up. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. Um, but then there were other things that were a bit more challenging. And she said, but bit by bit, over time, you got down to where she had said yes, that she would give up everything except her minivan. <laughs> and as she told the story, she said, I know, it's so silly, and it sounds ridiculous that I wouldn't be willing to give up my minivan. But she said, at that point, I had said yes to everything else. This was the only thing that I had left that I could call mine because everything else I'd given over to him. But continually, she kept feeling he wanted this, the answer. Would you give up your minivan for me? And finally, she was able to say, okay, <laughs> I will. If you want me to give that up for you, I will give it up. And it was after that, uh, she said, that she felt free for the first time in her life to be able to truly walk with God with nothing else coming in between. This is a position that Abram is in when he lets Lot go. It's this position, as like I say, he doesn't know what's coming next. But he gives up what he thinks is the way for the promises to be fulfilled. He lets go of the thing he's been holding on to. We know the rest of the story. It's okay for Abram to let him go. And in fact, probably shouldn't have brought him in the first place. There may be things um, today that we need to let go of. There may be things that we shouldn't have brought with us in the first place. I don't know what that is for you. But as we... Um, as we conclude this morning, I want you to remember that in everything, we may you know, be on a need-to-know basis and not get to know the whole story. But the part that we do know is the part where we know that we can trust the God who would send his one and only son to die for us. Giving for us Probably more than we'd be willing to give to anybody. And a God who can do that, who did do that, is a God who can be trusted in everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.